0: All right, Alexander, let's uh, talk about the uh, terrorist incident that took place in a St. Petersburg cafe, killing a war correspondent, Vladlin Natarsky, and uh, the Russian authorities have announced that they have apprehended Daria Trepova, and they've even released a very short Uh, segment of of uh, of questioning of uh, Trepova and that's what we have to go on to be honest there have been Russian officials who have said that uh, this was um, overall this was uh, sponsored and overseen by Ukraine Intel Services the SBU Um, I'll try to think if there's anything else there are rumors uh, about Trepova's husband they were uh in the in various protests in st petersburg anti war protests uh from what i understand uh, her husband is outside of russia um, at the moment i think they apprehended Trepova's sister as well and there are some some uh some rumors that she was in georgia for 6 months and that's how she got entangled with with these ukraine officials and I guess you can say indoctrinated to to uh, radicalized to to work with with these Ukraine officials and do what she ended up doing. Th- these are some rumors, but the facts are that she's been apprehended. Uh, a statement has been released. And um, that that is, that is that is what we know right now.
1: Absolutely. Right. Well, I think let's let's start with, first of all, who this man was, Vladlen Tatarsky. He is from Donetsk. Um, He was one of the original people who was involved in the militia back in 2014. He's a man with a criminal record. I mean, he was in prison when the protests began in Donetsk in 2014 he escaped from prison he was in prison for armed robbery i believe by the way he escaped from prison joined the militia became very active in the militia was obviously a charismatic personality was obviously also a controversial personality there was suggestions that despite the fact that he was in the militia he never fully put his his criminal past entirely behind him there have been some allegations about him. I'm not going to repeat those allegations. I don't want to... I don't know, that's really relevant, actually, in this affair. Whatever he was, and whoever he was, he was not... It was not proper to try to murder him in this way. I mean, he was in a cafe. Uh, a person should not be murdered under any circumstances. I think that's the first thing to say. Obviously, he's... A Fight and he was actually still fights in the militia. If he's killed on the battlefield, well, that's one thing. But actually going out and murdering someone in this fashion, that is wholly wrong, as you correctly say. It is a terrorist act. And what compounds it in this case, what makes this incident particularly disturbing and very, very ugly, is that the attack happened in a cafe where there was some kind of a public meeting going on there were lots of other people present and he was killed with an ex- explosive device hidden in this in a small statuette that was handed to him and it would have been extremely easy for other people to have been killed or injured as well and of course always remember this is an open location it's a cafe there might have been children there or young children Fortunately, I understand that there weren't. So this is an utterly reckless, irresponsible, murderous outrage. I have no hesitation at all in calling it a terrorist incident. Now, if we just talk about this particular individual who's alleged to have done this thing, well, I don't think alleged is actually the operative of word anymore, because, as you correctly said, the Russian authorities have released a brief, very brief, uh, part of her interrogation, she straightforwardly admits that she gave the statuette in- with the explosive device to Tatarski. So the only question, therefore, is whether she did it knowingly or whether she was tricked into doing it. And she does come back from, she does come from. Um, very active political background. She belongs to a political party, as does her husband, um, which supports Alexei Navalny. I may as well say that because it's true. So there's many parties that support Navalny, but this is one of them. It claims to be a libertarian party, but I understand that. It's not really at all like the kind of libertarian parties you have in the United States. It's essentially a liberal party. It's a pro-Western liberal party. She was part of that. Um, Both she and her husband, and I believe her sister also, were involved in protests when the war began, um, when the current fighting began in February last year. And, you know, she's the sort of person who might have been perhaps won over and persuaded to do this terrible thing. Sometimes you can, particularly with very young people, you can influence them to do this sort of thing in that kind of way. And, by the way, her husband is in, is abroad, he's in Europe, he, he, he fled Russia, he's one of those who fled Russia, to avoid the possibility of being mobilised and called up into the military. Now, there is the other possibility. The one possibility is that she was, as I said, influenced into doing this, indoctrinated perhaps while she was in Georgia. The other possibility is that she genuinely didn't know and that she was working, as some have suggested, for a group of what she thought were Ukrainian journalists and was acting as some kind of a courier and that she was tricked into giving this object, this statuette, to, to Tataski, And he didn't know what it was. And she didn't know what it was. And she was taken completely by surprise by the fact of his murder. Now, I don't know, and I'm not going to try and speculate, which of these two uh, 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 alternative scenarios is true. I think in time, we will find out. But for the moment, I have to say, the very brief glimpse that I got of her inter- interrogation she comes across to me as a rather uh, self-possessed young woman, you know, very much in control of what she's saying. And, you know, if you want to draw any conclusions from that, you can. Some might say that points to her, you know, being somebody who knew what she was doing. But, you know, let's not leap too far ahead. Now, she was clearly one person involved in a larger group of people. And I have to say there's all kinds of attempts today in the Western media to speculate about various Russian groups or people or organisations that might have wanted to get rid of Tatarsky. Every single one of these allegations, it seems to me, has no evidence behind it at all. All of these allegations are utterly fanciful. The overwhelming probability is that it was the Ukrainian special services that were involved. Now, we know the Ukrainian special services have done this thing, or at least we have got overwhelming reason to believe that they do this sort of thing, because even the US government apparently accepts that previously when Dario Dugina was murdered in Moscow, that that was the work of the Ukrainian uh, Secret Service. So they seem to be overwhelmingly the most likely suspect. Tatarsky is the sort of person who, as I said, is involved in this conflict. He is quite well known in Russia. He's quite well known uh, in Donbass. He's quite well known on the military side. He writes all kinds of yeah, uh, he, he used to write all kinds of reports. I used to read those reports. I never really gave much time to them myself. But that was, you know, my own. I th- I thought I think there were better, more reliable reporters than he was. But anyway, he was a reporter. Um, anyway, he is somebody the Ukrainians would have noticed, would have seen as an enemy. And I think it's entirely plausible that they were behind the they were behind his killing
0: yeah the uh the u.s government is on record multiple times uh stating that they have been very frustrated with uh with the ukraine uh government and uh, some of the secret operations that the ukraine government and the sbu um, have conducted including daria Dugina. Including um, recently, the Financial Times article with the terrorist activity in uh, in Belgorod, where the U.S. government said that uh, they they're they're very very frustrated with what uh, what what the Ukraine uh, intel services are up to because they're being left in the dark, and and they would advise Ukraine not to do these things. I mean that, that that's on record multiple times. So you know, it definitely sounds like something um ukraine intel would would be up to and if you believe the u.s that uh, that they don't know about this that's fine if you don't believe it that's also fine but they are on record saying that uh, that the sbu is involved in all kinds of um, activities that's yeah that that they don't sanction well
1: the sbu Uh, yeah yeah, the SBU yeah. or Ukrainian military intelligence, which is the other organization, which is sometimes in- named as being involved. That's what the U.S. has basically said. They said it through multiple channels. There's no doubt about this. Now, of course, I have to say this about the U.S. They say this. They say, oh, no, no, we completely disapprove of this. We think it's wrong. We're very frustrated about it. The Ukrainians conceal these things from us. We don't know anything about them. We're not involved. We're not implicated in any way. And yet, despite Ukraine behaving in this way, Ukraine continues to get complete, absolute US support. Uh, Zelensky remains, you know, pop star. He's invited to Congress. Uh, Biden visits him in Kiev. Uh, We hear all of these extraordinary things said about him. And as I said, so the United States, with one side of its mouth, whispers that it disapproves of all of this with the other side of its mouth. It continues to support Zelensky, the government in Ukraine, and all of the people who are, according to the US itself, doing these things. I have to say, I, I find not for the first time, it's the Biden administration playing a double game, pretending that they disapprove of something, which they actually are ultimately whether... By design or by omission, because if you know know something bad is going on, but you let it happen and you go on repeatedly letting it happen, whether by design or by omission, they are complicit in.
0: Well, the the really bad part about it is that they're on record multiple times saying that they don't approve of what uh, the Aletsky regime And what the Intel agencies are doing. I mean, that, that makes it even worse. It's not that they're just, you know, not saying anything or they have, they have no comment. No. They actually go out of their way to give interviews and statements to the New York Times, the Financial Times and say, and and they say, we're not behind any of these. And not only are we not behind any of these activities, but we actually condemn these activities and we tell them, we tell our Ukrainian friends that we condemn these activities. So that makes it
1: a whole lot worse uh what uh, makes it makes it it makes it it shocking but what i'm saying is it's exactly what the biden administration always does on the one hand it, it pretends to condemn something on the other hand it lets it happen and goes on supporting by providing weapons equipment intelligence and all of those things goes on supporting the party that's doing it i mean to me it's It's a serial pattern with this administration. It's like what Xi Jinping said over Taiwan. You said you don't support Taiwanese independence, and yet you're doing everything you can to bring it about. It's the same with these events. You say you condemn these events. They pretend to condemn these events. But they sit by, even despite that condemnation, and re- let them repeatedly happen. And just to re- say it again, whatever you may, f- whatever your views about Tatarsky, he didn't deserve to be killed in this fashion. That's absolutely wrong, by any measure. But anyway, beyond that, setting off a bomb in a cafe where lots of people are present, c- innocent civilians are present, and potentially children is a deplorable and disgraceful thing. It's a shocking thing to do. And it is clear-cut terrorism.
0: Yeah, and uh, the latest reports are that eight people, uh, 30 injured and eight of those people are in uh, critical condition. Uh, So what happens next? Um, This is the second uh, attack and assassination on a journalist on Russian territory. The yes. first one being yes. uh, Daria Dugana. This is, as yes. you pointed out, very different because in uh, Dugana's case, it was in her automobile. This one was inside a cafe. So we can see that they're getting much more reckless, these uh, these assassins yes. and these plotters. Uh, I'm not sure there was a real retaliation from Russia after the Dugana assassination, I, I I tend to remember that there wasn't a specific retaliation. Will there be one following this assassination, or will the uh, the Kremlin just continue to to stay its course and it will allow the FSB to to do what it's going to do with their investigation?
1: I think they'll go through the motions of carrying out some kind of a, a retaliation, but I think overall they'll let the FSB and the law enforcement agencies deal with this thing after all they've got the prime suspect eventually she will talk I mean people like this always do especially very young people if she was you know led along and persuaded to do this thing sooner or later I suspect she will become disillusioned and she will turn on the people who misled her into doing this thing. If she was used as a patsy, she didn't really understand what she was doing, she didn't realise that this statue contained a bomb, then she's going to be extremely angry at some point. And again, she will turn on the people who led her into this thing, and she will talk. So one way or another, she's going to talk. So we're going to have a law enforcement investigation, and I suspect that's the other thing to say. Bear in mind... The Russian government, um, it is allowed by Russian law to go after people who <laughs> um, commit crimes on Russian territory, terrorist crimes, and if necessary, it can use direct measures against them. So there will be, a, there will presumably at some point be a manhunt to find these people. And if the Russians track them down, wherever it is that they're hiding, you know, they've already said legally that they are entitled under russian law to to take steps against them that's that's one thing but i think overwhelmingly the major concern of the kremlin at the moment is a different one on the one hand they're facing these attacks but what they do not want and what i think they think these attacks are partly intended to do they do not want the russian population turning on ukrainian people in russia there's large numbers of ukrainians ethnic ukrainians in russia many of them have lived there all their lives their parents grandparents lived there but to some extent they've retained their ukrainian identity there's also been millions of refugees who've come to russia since the start of the war and i think the major concern of the Kremlin will be to resist calls for a clampdown on all of these people or for some kind of action indiscriminately to be taken against all of these people. Because I think that they probably calculate that the real purpose of these attacks is to create conflict within Russia itself between, U- between Ukrainians and Russians. And I think that's going to be the major concern the Kremlin has. I think it's going to convey that to all law enforcement agencies, all media agencies across Russia. And I think that they will work to hold the line. And up to now, that line has held successfully. And they will put all the blame that they can on the Kiev government. And I suspect that will hold. Yeah.
0: Uh, Real quick... Is it possible that um, a person would not know what's what's in that that statue that bust? I mean you know I've, I've statues like this I mean when you carry a statue you know I mean you know a sculpture I mean I've, I've been around art all my life I mean you you know a sculpture when you hold it you feel what's in it I mean is, is this possible even? I'm just, I don't even know if you can answer that question. I'm just thinking about what you said, and I agree. The, the narrative right now is: was she a patsy, or was she involved in this in this plot? And I, I'm just right. thinking to—I'm just thinking out loud right now. Is that even possible to, to be given this? And it, it was pretty big. It wasn't small. I mean, this was pretty pretty yeah. hefty. And not realize that something well. was off.
1: Well, I have to say initially, and i i I was going along with what was actually for a time the prevailing view in russia which that which was that she was a patsy <laughs> now I'm going to say something something I, I what I have seen of her under interrogation makes me wonder actually, as I said, she comes across to me as intelligent and very collected, and I can't help but think that she I, I, I incline. I, let me write this. I, I incline more now to the view that she probably knew what she was doing. She was young, very young person. She looks very young, uh, very young person. She was clearly involved in anti-Putin protests. She was very fired up. No, she, she was possibly fired up, made to you know live some kind of advent, adventure you know, it's not difficult to see how somebody could be turned and made use of in that kind of way. Horrifying thing to do, by the way. Absolutely appalling to do. It's appalling if she was a patsy. It's equally appalling if she was turned and turned into into into, a, into a, essentially a terrorist. And as I said, if, if it was the second, at some point, I speak with some experience here, at some point... She will become very disillusioned and very, very angry, and will turn on the people who made her do this terrible thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's uh, finish off the video with uh, the other big news from um, from Ukraine, which was in Bakhmut. And Prigozhin raised uh, a flag on the administrative building, and he said that uh, that Russia, the Wagner uh, PMCs, they now control Bakhmut. Legally, they have legal control Legally. of Bakhmut. The key word yeah. is legal yes. control. Um, legal. Yes, she's correct there. The flag on the administrative building. But what's, what's going on in Bakhmut?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you will. I mean, you got it exactly correct. I mean, they've, they've, from what I've been able to, they've definitely captured this building. I mean, I there were some attempts by Ukraine to deny that this was the case. The British media was Full of this, there was a report from a Ukrainian official on Reuters who spoke in incredibly coarse language, by the way. So coarse that the original report from Reuters was heavily watered down when it was reproduced in the other British newspapers. But anyway, he, he appeared to deny that the city administration building had been captured and that the Russian flag had been raised over it. But, you know, symbolically, it means that the Russians now control this particular building in the city, which represents the city, and, you know, Prigozhin is able to say, well, this means that we now legally control the city. I also suspect, by the way, that they control, they must control around 80% of it now, because from what I can understand, they've either captured the central areas Bakhmut, or are very close to doing so. They've also captured the Azom plant, which is to the north, all of the uh, eastern part of Bakhmut, east of the Bakhmutka River. They've also made big inroads in other parts of Bakhmut as well. They must control at least 80% of the town. About, But the Ukrainians are still there. They're still fighting. They still have a presence in the western parts of Bakhmut and of course Prigozhin said this I mean he's not saying that there is no fighting going on in Bakhmut or that the Russians are in total control of the entirety of Bakhmut so the Russians now control most of the town they control the central administrative building they're pushing the Ukrainians to the western outskirts Step by step, they're getting much closer now, it seems to me, to capturing the whole town. And I have to say, I think that unless the Ukrainians do mount this counterattack that we were hearing so much about two weeks ago, but which hasn't materialized, unless the Ukrainians mount this kind of counterattack and in some way reverse the situation, which is looking increasingly unlikely, this battle of Bakhmut by far the biggest battle fought over the course of this war, will soon be over and the Russians will have won.
0: Uh, real quick, what do you make of the uh, the claims that one uh, of the reasons that Russia has decided to not close the, the circle of the cauldron, has not closed the cauldron shut, is because um, they got intel that Ukraine actually has underground tunnels, and that's how they were moving weapons into Bakhmut. So they saw no reason to to close the pincers fully. I mean, I mean is is that true, or is that rumor, speculation? Do you know? Have you heard anything
1: about that? How do we? How how I mean, can how, we possibly? I'm saying, know what are, what are your yeah. I mean, you know, the, yeah. what, are, what are your thoughts? I, I, I mean, I'm going to say this. I mean, I, it seems to me. I'm going to guess now. I think it's a little unlikely. I mean, you know, there would be some pretty big tunnels if they were there. I can't say that that's absolutely not the case, but it seems to me a little unlikely. Also, the Russians have been pushing very hard on trying to, you know, keep these pincers where they are. Now, I'm going to to give my own guess. I think that closing the pincers entirely would have meant... ...capturing two particular villages. One was Ivanivska, the other is Kholmovo. These Ukrainian forces that were moved to this area two weeks ago... ...they never mounted a counterattack, ...but they heavily reinforced Ukrainian positions in these two villages. And capturing the two villages would have cost a lot of Russian lives the russians are able to shell the roads that pass through the villages so the actual asphalt roads are if not entirely unusable they are largely unusable so why devote vast numbers of you know why why you know take on large numbers of casualties to capture these two villages when your priority now is basically to To take control of the town i think that's basically what i think that's more likely the rationale and yes the ukrainians can send some men in across the fields and the dirt roads and they can take some men out across the fields and the dirt roads but that is very difficult to do and of course it's there's been a lot of snow over the last couple of days which must make movement even harder You know, if you, I mean, you've lived in Moscow, you know how high the snow can get. And apparently this is a very heavy snowfall. I mean, you can't just move through the snow. It's not, not, I mean, you might in some, in some people's ideas you can, but it's not an easy thing to do. And of course, when the snow melts, it all turns boggy and swampy and all of those sorts of things. So I, I don't think there's any particular military value. In closing the pincers in that way. And if you're going to lose large numbers of men trying to do that, well you don't you don't do it. You just you just keep pushing, clearing Bakhmut, and any Ukrainian troops who try to escape across the fields and through the dirt roads, you can shell them as they're leaving, which has happened on a number of occasions. By the way, and you inflict more casualties upon them that way.
0: Yeah. Okay. We'll uh, leave it there. The com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, Pitsuda, Telegram, and go to Durad Shop 10% off. Use the code Good Day. Take care.